Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 28, and tonight our guest is Kenneth Watson. He is the author of 12 Faces of Sober, and Kenneth is a veteran who wrote this book around his battle with alcoholism and kicking the deadly addiction. Since writing his book he that he published a year ago, he also created a podcast which allows people to share their story. And so far, that story has featured his own guests with sober testimonials, authors, veterans, and entrepreneurs. He's always had a dream to host his own show because he loves to live by his rules. So, Kenneth, welcome to Sober Solutions. Well, oh, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate this opportunity to come on Sober Solutions and uh, be able to uh, share my story with you guys and just have a great, uh, great conversation tonight. Excellent. Well, it's nice to have you. It's nice to have you. So why don't you share a little bit about your story and who you are? Um, well, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, where I currently reside. <clears throat> my dad was in the military. Excuse me. Um, my dad was in the Navy and we were only here roughly about four months of my life and uh, moved around uh, from Connecticut to uh, San Diego, where pretty much where I was raised at. Uh, I'm the youngest of uh, youngest of five kids. I have two brothers, two sisters. Uh, my dad is um, a recovering alcoholic, so I picked up on drinking at an early age. I'd probably say about five or six. My dad would send me to the kitchen to get him get his beer. Uh, he knew that I loved to open up the can of beer, and before I would get to the you know to the the living room or the dining room, we were watching a football game. I you know take a, a sip or a drink or two and. You know, just like anybody just experimenting, thinking it's cool because this is what, you know, your dad is doing <clears throat> among his friends. And um, like I said, I grew up around uh, a lot of alcohol. Um, I, I The first time I actually got drunk was um, I was 12 years old, uh, hence the the, uh, the name of the title, 12 Faces of Sober, uh, the book I wrote. I, um, you know, grew up, um, you know, an athlete uh, every Friday, uh, Friday nights, I um would partake in drinking just like any other high school uh, person would. Um, didn't really, you know, think about it being a problem at that time, but it grew to become a problem. I would say right after college, um, I graduated from St. Cloud State University in Minnesota in uh, 2003 and uh, with a bachelor's degree in uh, radio broadcasting. And once I, you know, worked in radio for a couple of years, uh, that didn't pan out in Minnesota. I made the choice to move to Phoenix thinking that, okay, I have this experience under my belt, but it didn't work out. I never worked in radio again. And so I had was forced to, you know, quote unquote, work a real job. And there was no hope in that because here it is, I have a bachelor's degree in communications, but all the jobs that I was, was working or applying for had nothing to do with broadcasting. So um, that's where the, the depression started to sink in. And I hung out with my brother. My brother's 10 years older than me. One of my brothers is. And he actually, you know, he drank and he smoked. And I was that guy who, you know, drunk the Budweiser or MGDs and went from that to you're, you're weak because you're drinking the, the girly drinks. Everybody else was drinking the malt liquor. 
uh, St. Ides, 211, stuff like that. And I'm like, this stuff is nasty. <laughs> I didn't like it. But then I grew to love it. And, and that's kind of where the, the poison, you know, the, the alcoholism kind of started. And after that, basically, I got into a relationship, um, <clears throat> got engaged. She ended up getting pregnant, um, which led to an abortion. And that's the, the true height of the alcoholism was there. And I, I kind of was on a, a, steady, a steadily decline. And I would probably say about seven to eight months later, I ended up spending a night in jail um, in Phoenix. And that's, I would probably say about the second strike in terms of changes in my life. And I bounced around from house to house. I left Phoenix because I was basically homeless and I decided to join the army. And uh, 2008, no, 2009, I joined the army. I was a cook. I did that. Um, I was in the army for six years. The alcoholism was there, you know, in the army, it's, it's, it's virtually encouraged, not more or less like, you know, they, they don't want you to drink. They prefer. And I was one of those that fell victim to it and was involved in a lot of different alcohol related incidents. And it, it pretty much cut my military career short. It was, it was either, well, actually I was, uh, I, I am a victim of domestic violence. I eventually got married and my ex-wife, she got arrested or was charged for domestic violence, but they sent me to rehab. And in the process, I was, you know, I, they said, well, we can't take this anymore. We're going to kick you out. So, you know, in between that, I was just more or less focused on just trying to get out of, you know, get out the army. My goal was to just get out of, um, go, well, the, my goal was to just go to school, get my master's and not work. My ex-wife wanted the opposite, wanted me to go to work. And I, I pretty much sunk into a, a, a deeper depression because of the fact that I, um, couldn't I couldn't process the real world the the military programmed me one way but they didn't prepare me for life after the military so I had two jobs I pretty much just walked off of both well I walked off of one the second one I got fired and um virtually like I said I was just you know on a steadily decline and virtually basically I um ended up landing in the hospital right after that I uh, almost died from a pancreatitis, spent nine days, but still wasn't good enough for me. I still wanted to drink because I couldn't, you know, fathom what was going on in my life. And uh, August 31st of uh, 2016, I became uh, homeless again in Phoenix. And I was um, at a, uh, the Phoenix Rescue Mission. I did 45 days there um, and basically was sober and ended up getting kicked out. And then went to Minnesota this final time and got treatment through the VA. And once I get, when I was in treatment, I applied for um, I applied for a grad school again at St. Cloud State. Got accepted two days later. I did my master's program. Uh, the the best thing uh, for me was uh, to number one get sober, number two to get into school because it took my mind off of reality. I didn't want to work. I wanted to put my mind doing something totally different. During that time of getting my master's degree, I traveled to South Africa. I studied at uh, Nelson Mandela University. Um, and like I said, now it's just more or less of, of an awareness is that I, I know that it wasn't easy of my sobriety journey, but I know that if I can, you know, fall all these numerous times and finally just focused on myself, that I know that the next person can make it too. 
and it's not the easiest thing, but I know that there are steps and ways to maintain and, you know, just keep the sobriety going. And so that's where I'm at today. You know, like I said, I, I wrote the book 12 Faces of Sober last year. Um, it's been out for a year. I, um, like I said, I, I have a, now, um, you know, I sell merchandise. I have t-shirts and hoodies as well that I uh, sell. And, you know, next thing I'm trying to get into is more or less of the, the public speaking. I wanted to have years under my belt as far as my sobriety before I get out into the public and actually speak. And so now I believe with not only my experience um, with the sobriety, but with my, you know, my bachelor's degree in communications and my master's in communications as well, is that now I can use my, my platform of sobriety to get the message out there that it is possible to maintain the, a sobriety, a, a healthy sobriety living. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, Kenneth, congratulations on all of that success. I mean, you've really run the gamut of being in the military, being homeless, now having, you know, your bachelor's and master's degree, looking to move and inspire other people with your, your story. You know, and and as you said, you you wrote this book, uh, Twelve Faces of Sober. Um, can you share with us where that title came from? As I just mentioned, um, twelve was the the first year. Um, well, the twelve was the age of when I first got drunk, and so as I was uh, initially, like I said, I wrote the book first and was kind of like toying around with uh, different titles, and then the the faces came from when I was in treatment. Each day, uh, one of the groups that we were in, they, you know, it's kind of cheesy, but it, they had like a sheet and it was like different facial expressions of describing your mood. So, you know, some, some days, you know, I wasn't really feeling it. So I would just be like, didn't care. I would just give a random face. As I mentioned, even some of my chapters are listed based off, off the expressions. So that's kind of how it came together was the 12 faces. And then, like I said, the sober just kind of just ran, ran with it. Kenneth, you uh, you talked about being in the military and almost them encouraging a, a uh, an atmosphere of drinking. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about the you know the fraternal nature of being in the military, but also the fraternal nature of you know being in the you know in recovery. Do you see any parallels there, or you know is that uh, any similarities there for you? Um, the Oh, that's tough. The like the to a certain extent, the military has, you know, they have that fraternity atmosphere, but it's it's also in, you know, I was a cook, so our hours of operation was different than the the traditional soldier because they would work that nine to the, the nine to five my day would start at three or four o'clock in the morning. So a lot of times I didn't interact with soldiers unless they were coming in and I'm feeding them. And that would be truly the only time. But as far as the comparing it to the recovery, I would say if more or less, if, if the, the people within the unit truly cared about you, then yes. But because it wasn't always that, the case no because when you're you were judged if if they knew you had an alcohol problem 
you were, you know, in my case, I was removed from the job. Everybody knew they, you know, they called you by your last name. So they would refer to my last name or oh, Watson is this person. Oh, he's the, the drunk and, and not so much the soldier. Now I get that respect. Now, now I'm getting all that support. But when, when I had all of these issues and problems, they, I was just that label as the drunk. And now I'm, I'm getting that you know, getting that support now and also having people coming to me expressing they have problems with drinking. I actually was just going to touch on that. Um, I have a friend that is in recovery that went through the military and he had a very similar story. He communicated that, I mean, this is probably like 20 years ago, but that it was just not talked about, not supported. If you had any sort of mental health or addiction issues, they didn't want to deal with it and you either got kicked out or basically told, you know, figure it out. That's essentially what he said. You know, I read when I was reading your book, you know, obviously it was your experience, strength and hope with alcoholism, but I saw a lot of mental health, um, mental health struggles as well. You know, you had your, um, your drug abuse, domestic violence, your, uh, you, you mentioned mental health issues and all those struggles that led to ultimately alcoholism. I was wondering if, you know, you can touch on basically what the army did or didn't do then, or if you know that they've gotten better or changed recently. Well, um, I, I've been out now, I've been out the army now six years. They, they have the programs. They have all, you know, they, they, they the, the alcohol program is called ASAP. Um, I was involved in it. I was uh, in two different duty stations in North Carolina and in Texas. I didn't even know that I had these mental health issues until I actually saw a professional, to be honest with you. And I, I was ashamed to open up. And to be able to be like, hey, these are the type of things that I experienced as a child. These are the things that, you know, it's not normal for a kid to just be, you know, your, your parents leaving all this alcohol just out in the open and for anybody to pretty much just drink and they not even notice that the alcohol is disappearing. And so I, in a lot of ways, I was checking the boxes in terms of going to, to see these mental health professionals, but then I'm realizing that, yes, I do have a lot of issues and I need to work on them. And I, when I was there, I didn't really care because it, for me, it was like, I'm getting out of work. It was an excuse not to be around these people, but I'm still getting paid. So it didn't really matter to me. So I don't know if that answered the question, but. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, obviously besides the book, I wanted to learn about your life and I was listening to some of your previous interviews or I forget if it was podcast. One thing I found interesting is that you had to cut down your book, uh, due to length. And one of the chapters that you said you took out was based on a relationship or, uh, with your wife or ex-wife. Mm -hmm. Um, can you touch on kind of what didn't make the book that was important enough to initially write down? Ooh, uh, <laughs> if, if you're comfortable <laughs> expressing that, um, I would say that there were a lot more instances, like a lot, lot more situations. I, I picked and choose what I wanted to go in there, put like, it was whatever was meant to be in a book was meant to be in a book because I, 
I, like I said, when I, well, I, I almost combined it, needless to say, I combined the two chapters minus a, a few things. And, you know, a few people was like, you're giving her too much energy. So she only deserves one chapter. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I, let me think about that one. I'll I, tell you what, I like your initial answer, mm-hmm. your initial answer. What was meant to be in the book is in the book. And I think that relates to lives, right? What's meant to be where we are right now is where we need to be. So mm-hmm. although that um, I may have caught you off guard, I really like that initial That's answer. A good question. A very, very good question. Definitely. So Kenneth, I just want to back us up be a little bit and really understand your inspiration for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I I also heard in previous uh, interviews and and podcasts um, the relationship that you had with your mother, and and it sounded as though um, you have have uh, her as an inspiration. But can you touch on what drove you to write this book? I have thought about this myself. Um, and just haven't had that motivation to do it. So can you share with us? Initially in uh, 2000 2001, 2002, I um, wanted to write a book and, and I was sitting, you know, I was like I said, in college and I thought I knew everything about dating and, you know, and I might revisit that book, but I, that was the, the initial step that I, you know, had talked about. I, I started in 2001, 2002 picked it back up again in 2006 or seven and then after that I said I'll never write it and then when I got to St. Cloud State and like I said I I graduated from that school in uh 2003 and then I here I am back on this campus 14 years later and so the I'm I'm back working you know in the same you know department I was working at before but now I'm more of like in a mentor role and so like, you know, my advisor, you know, he was still there and he was like, I just want you to just, you know, sit down, read a book, students come in, you just talk to them. So a lot of students would be like, you know, you're 36, 37, why are you in school? You know, you should, you know, be doing something else. And I'm like, this is, this is my new happy place. And as I'm telling them, like, you know, hey, I'm in recovery, you know, these are my first couple of months. Cause like I said, I literally went from rehab a couple of weeks later, it started grad school. So I didn't really have too much time off. And as I kept talking to the students, they're like, you need to put this on paper. And, and I wasn't comfortable and ready at that particular time only because I was just getting ready. You know, my, my divorce uh, was the process of that was just getting started. And I was just getting my feet wet as far as grad school. So I didn't necessarily dive into the book right away. So I just let all the different thoughts kind of run through my mind. And once I got towards the end of it, and I and I will give a shout out to my fiance, you know, she's an author as well. And when we first met, I was telling her about my whole situation. And she was like, yes, you need to do this book. And so before I moved to Jacksonville, I um, went ahead and I uh, started, started doing it the first, uh, I think maybe about a month before I moved out here. And then I just worked on it for literally about a year and I, I put it out. So it definitely was the students from St. Cloud State, definitely was um, my, my fiance. And then uh, I think someone, I think you asked a question about my mom. My mom has been, you know, she's been right there with me uh, from, from the time I was born up until this point. And, you know, she, she told me that, um, you know, we, right before I went to rehab, she told me, she was like, what do I need to do? Uh, to get you the the help and the support. 
And she's like, I don't want to bury my son. And I was literally drunk. I pretty sure I probably drank the night before, had woke up that afternoon, was reeking the alcohol. And that's where it was like, okay, I need to get myself together. But I still drank. I, I drank maybe about a week after that. But after that, there I haven't had an ounce of alcohol. It's so interesting. You mentioned that just now, and you mentioned that earlier, that there was nothing that was going to stop you from drinking. And I really resonated with that. I, I was just thinking about like my family, my job, my partner, my health, like all of these reasons were there right in my face to say, stop drinking, stop drugging. And I was like, no, because I want to do what I want to do. So, you know, I know that there's this excellent message of sobriety in your book, but what is it that you want people to get out of it? I was just having this conversation. That there's there's hope. There's hope uh, regardless, um, you know, the, the mistakes that you make in the past do not dictate what, you know, who you are today and what you can be tomorrow. And I, I had to realize that it, it, it took me a lot. It took me a long time because there, there was so many, so many instances where I was looking out for other people, my ex-wife, my stepkids at the time. And I, I never focused, I, as you just mentioned, my health. Um, so I'm, I'm, like I said, I was diagnosed with diabetes right before I got sober. Now I pretty much reversed that. I've eliminated my diabetes. I've lost a lot of weight, close to like 45, almost 50 pounds, you know, during this, during the time of getting sober, my lady is cutting, you know, cutting down my eating process in terms of the bad fatty foods. Um, now that she's back in town, I'm like, I haven't, today was the first that I had meat in like four days and I'm, I had, a, you know, I'm not going to lie, I went through withdrawals, but you know, it's just a, you know, just a whole different approach at life. And, and, and that's pretty much what it is, is that I want to, you know, I want people to use my situation so that they don't have to go through what I went through. And that's why I still try to, I still mentor a lot of the college students at St. Cloud State. I, I post them, I post certain things, they'll, they'll be the first ones. Like you're, you're very inspiring. I, I tell them, just don't make the same mistakes that I did in, in your 30s. You know what I'm saying? Just don't do it. it. You know, enjoy your 20, do what you got to do, but just know it's going to come a point where you got to stop, you know, some of your bad habits. Kenneth, the, uh, you know, one of the things with this podcast is it's about recovery in any way, shape or form. So 12 step program, smart recovery, refuge, whatever it is, um, staying as long as you stay sober, doesn't, doesn't really matter how you do. So to get to get to five years or coming up on five years, uh, what does your recovery look like uh, now today? Very simple. Very, very simple. I, I check in with my sponsor. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't go, I don't do AA. Um, I, it's not, I don't have anything against it. I just have an AA home, which is in Minnesota. So being that I'm not here, I don't go, but I, I still check in. My sponsor, she's 83. And so I just, um, I just try to, you know, I, I, I try to plan my day out when I wake up, like what it is, it's like, okay, I, I got to do something for my brand. I, I try to, you know, get out, get some fresh air, you know, try to just do things that, that I 
avoided for a lot of years. And like I said, just getting out, venturing with nature, things that I was just like, nah, I'm too good to do this. Now I'm like, nah, this is what I need. I need these, you know, to hear nature. I need to hear the birds chirping and, and, and so on. Yeah, the you know, one thing that resonated with me is when you just said your mom communicated to you that I don't want to bury my son. Uh, we had an episode last week uh, with our mothers and my mom said, you know, even a year later, she said she's still fearful of the tragic ending. And Ben's mom communicated basically the same thing, this fear. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's another, you know, it shows that it doesn't matter where you're from. Addiction just spreads uh, through friends and family in the same way. Um, I just wanted to say that because that really resonated with me. You have a, a chapter in your book. I forget the exact words, um, but so, like the faces of sobriety, I want to say it was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was one of my favorite chapters. Can you elaborate on what that means? And because I do want the viewers to get a good uh, glimpse of what your book's about. Uh, you mean just the the chapter the chapter on faces the faces of sobriety? So I I really like how your chapters you know the names of your chapter that's one oh. of the things. So maybe touch on that one and then just anything else that you want the viewers to know about your book um, in an abridged version. Um. Well, the the book is as, as I put it is is run uncut because I I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want it to not sound like me. You know, uh, you, sometimes you read a book and, and you don't know who's really telling the story. And in, in my case, I felt like I, if, if I can't tell this story myself, then there's no need to even have a story. And the, as far as, like I said, the descriptions, it was because a lot of people have, a, you know, when, when they first meet me, I, I usually, have a straight face at all times. And so, and, and I don't want people to judge me right away. So I can have, I could be super duper happy, but I could have a straight face or I could be super duper upset. So it, it, it kind of gives you the, the layers in terms of like, you don't really know until you actually get in there and you read the chapter to truly understand. And, and that's why I, I did it that way. Um, some of the chapters, obviously, you know, I, I, I didn't use, except for my lady's going to, you know, she's not, not too happy, well, won't be happy, but I used her name because that's who's important to me. The other people's names that I used are those in the past. And they're not, you know, they're not their actual name. Well, it could be an alias or something like that. But I just felt like she's, she's who, who I am today and where I'm going in my future. And like I said, I, I basically, I, 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 the book itself, it, it takes you on a journey from who I was before I was drinking, the person, you know, or the animal that I formed while drinking and the bad relationships that came with it and why I didn't walk away when I knew that I should have, when situations got bad. And then now the, the, the rest of the book was life after all that turmoil and all that toxicity and, and how my life became more simple and how more opportunities 
itself opened up. So that that's pretty much the the journey itself. It, it has a lot of bumps, but then it also has dedications. And one of the chapters too, that as I mentioned earlier about the important people in my life, like I said, my mom, my sponsor, my uh, my pastor. I felt that I needed to in, include them because if it wasn't for them, I don't know for sure if I would still be sober because they they gave me chance after chance and they didn't give up on me. There were others too, but those three and my sister as well. So it was just, you know, more more or less that. But for me, I think the book the book can be a a a true resource not only for veterans but just people who've been in, you know, domestic violence situations, people who have you know, been in relationships where, you know, a miscarriage or an abortion. So it's like, I'm touching on a lot of different situations that a lot of men have been through and, and, and not just men, but just people in general. And, and it's just, and it just so happens to be my life. And, and like I said, I wanted to bring people into my world. And that's why I was able to just, just tell it and say it like it was, because that's how it happened. You know, you call it a journey, and the word that keeps coming to my mind is evolution. Throughout this book and throughout this podcast tonight, what I've heard is your evolution as a man, as a sober person, as an individual. Um, so I really, again, want to congratulate you on on your five years coming up next month. Um, right. You know, th there's there's this hope that you want to provide the readers of your book. And for tonight, what I would love to hear is what's one piece of advice that you would give a newcomer? This this podcast is really focused on uh, individuals who are in early recovery. What's one piece of advice you, you would give them on their journey? Be yourself. Honest, you know, be yourself, be honest with whatever problems that you have only you know any you know somebody can say hey you you are this way but you you spend more time by yourself than you do with anybody else and and surround yourself with the right the right group of people um i i had to cut you know i had to cut some friends off and family off early in sobriety in order for me to maintain this 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 duration um, I, I definitely recommend that you don't date <laughs> early in sobriety. That is not, um, it's, it, it'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll knock you. It'll, it'll, it can really hinder your sobriety. Cause I almost dropped out of uh, grad school dealing with the situation. A that few I knew, of our uh, other uh, hosts may have to. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> but we won't I, I get think, into we won't get into that one. <laughs> I think it's a personal choice, but I think you know, <laughs> Kenneth. No, it, in general, a lot of people say that. Yeah. That people do, and and Kenneth, I think what your point is is know thine self. Mm -hmm. You know, really, not just know who you are, but if you don't know who you are, find out, mm -hmm. because what was the most important piece for me was that journey of self-discovery mm -hmm. you know really stripping away all of that armor that i built up over the years of you know all these lies that i had and then really being honest with i don't know myself i don't mm -hmm. love myself and the moment i was able to be honest with that then i could move 
to what you're talking about and really uh, being who I am and, and being confident with who I am. You know, I, I think that, you know, I know for me, there are definitely things that I want to improve mm-hmm. and I'm okay with where I'm at right now. Being okay with where I'm at right now doesn't mean that I can't get better, but it just means that I can say today that I love myself. Mm. Yeah, and 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 I, Jason, I I definitely agree with you on the the aspect of loving yourself because I didn't, and you know, when before, you know during the time of uh, abusing alcohol, I did not love myself, and I had to, I had to put myself above anybody else, and and that's what it took you know, to, to maintain the sobriety, especially early, because the temptations are there, you know, and, and what I meant by also changing your scenery is that I was invited to functions. I, I went to uh, a wine tasting or something like within the first five or six months. And I was like, I don't have no business being here, but I'm here. But I knew I wouldn't do it again. So, I mean, it's just a matter of putting yourself in those situations. Do you want to be around it? or not, you know, the same way, like I, I can't, for me, I can't do the, the non-alcoholic beverages. I know what alcohol tastes like. I don't want nothing similar to alcohol. It's going to make me want to go back and drink. I, I think that is an excellent point, you know, and everyone's program's different. Everyone knows themselves better than anyone else knows them. And I, I agree with you, you know, why tempt myself? It's like, walking down a dark alley at night with no flashlight or anything like that. Like, why would I do that if I don't need to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, so why tempt myself going in and having a non-alcoholic beer at a bar? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. But maybe it does to other people and, and they have to run their own program. It's just making sure that we check our motives is what I heard you say. So... I, I'm, I 100% I'm, I'm agree. super careful. I'm super careful. Let me tell you, because I, I, I know what alcohol I used to like, and I don't want a substitute. So <laughs> I just try to stay, you know, try to stay clear and away from it. I, I do recall when I was in the army and I had quit and I had tried out old duels and, and I tried it for like two days and I went right back to drinking. I said, nah, this, I want the real thing. So I don't want no substitute. So it's either I'm gonna drink water or I'm not drinking anything or some tea. My, my, my lady makes me tea all the time. So I'll take that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for your time tonight. And for those who are interested in uh, reviewing and purchasing Kenneth's book, 12 Faces of Sober, we will be posting the link to your website on our pages, both Instagram and Facebook, so that people can go and check out uh, not just the book, but the awesome merchandise that you have as well. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. I appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to share my story. I greatly appreciate it. It was great. Appreciate you coming on. Have a good one. Stay sober. So that was awesome. I think that he has a great message. I think that his message of hope is one we've heard, you know, many times before but he put this on paper and he is so committed to getting the message out there and what he's doing is bringing that hope and putting it into action it's not just his own hope but he's hoping to inspire other people in their recovery 
when I was reading the book, it really touched on not only alcoholism, but life. It touched on relationships a lot. It touched on mental health. It touched on um, the effects of being in the military. And like he said, he was a cook. But the culture at that time really affected his journey through alcoholism. And I love hearing that family is there for you and they're this big inspiration. He also touches on how and why he got sober. And when you read these books, he wasn't from the Northeast area like myself. He has a different upbringing. He has different this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, his story is exactly the same. The feelings that he wrote on his book were exactly the same as my feelings. I think that's an excellent point of how to look to relate. You know, if you're sitting in a meeting, if you're reading a book, if you're listening to this podcast, how can I relate to the person speaking instead of compare myself? Yeah, and to Chris's point, he touched on a lot of different things, you know, domestic violence and it's really just about asking for help. It doesn't matter what you need help in. The biggest thing is asking for help. And once, you know, that's usually the thing that holds us back from getting the help that we need. And for me, once, once I was able to ask for help, everything else after that was pretty damn easy. It might not have felt easy at the time, but nothing was harder than going from being an active addiction to actually getting the help that I need. And, you know, so that was great to hear his message. And and his story was full of drastic events. We hear these things like domestic violence, like being homeless. And he has almost five years of sobriety. He'll have five years next month. He has overcome so much. And that's inspiring to me because fortunately those things are, well, the domestic violence I've, I also have experience with, but the homelessness, I mean, that's a yet for me. And I know that if I go back out, that'll happen. That'll happen to me. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine being homeless. Uh, but I'm sure most people didn't couldn't imagine being homeless. And it's just crazy. I was talking to an old friend uh, recently. And his cousin is in this situation where he's homeless and they can't get a hold of him. And I remember this kid. He went to University of Connecticut and it seemed like he had the whole his whole life, you know, ahead of him. And it's just it just reminds you that addiction doesn't discriminate and it can it makes you do the most irrational things. And, you know, it just reminds you that it is a disease. And, you know, it, like I said, it just doesn't discriminate. Well, great episode tonight, guys. And for anyone who's interested in checking out Kenneth's book, please check out our Facebook and our Instagram. We will make sure that we post links so that you can get in touch with him. And as always, tonight's episode is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a good night, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, 
Find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.